Here we have, going back to Latino culture overall being very historically religious, now here we are like, your sexual fluidity isn't really allowed, you know? And especially when you grow up gay and you see bachata moves and you're like, dang, I don't want to do that with a girl. And so it's like, oh, but I can't do that at the Dominican barbecue though. I can't, I can't bring my guy and dance bachata. And so those are, those, are, those are the things you start seeing within your own community. So now we have our workplace and now we have our own community. Um, and I really do feel like um, I do have to highlight that experiences because, um, you know, we, us Latinos, we even have that track record of hating each other. That was a clip from today's episode. I really hope you're enjoying it so far. Before we get into the full episode, just want to give a big shout out to you all for listening. Just want to say thank you and welcome to the King Tueres podcast brought to you by Plural. We have a very special guest on the podcast today. John Carlos Barrera is a first generation college graduate. Currently, he's a program specialist for a nonprofit and nonpartisan 501c3 organization in Washington, D.C. John contributes to the organization's mission of developing the next generation of Latino leaders. And most importantly, he's a proud and orgulloso queer caribeño Latino, specifically Dominican and Colombian. De lo mío. Let's get to the episode. How about we start with how you found Plural? Because you had like an interesting story around like seeing an ad for like some of our products but then instead of like going directly to shopping you actually went through the experience of like learning about like how, why we started it and all of that right um so i saw this ad for one of your tote bags it's the Carin- carinito yeah, yeah. Uh, i thought that was mad dope i thought that was really cute um so the thing uh the thing is with me um i think that there's this like big wave um you know, I studied marketing back in college. So I have this marketing background that I really analyze a lot of companies and like really start to get to like ask the question, why are you? And, um, you know, I've been doing it for a couple of uh, reasons for whether it be like, you know, because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's like this big wave of like um, sustainable, ethically made uh, products, whether it's skincare, your produce, um, there is a big wave of that. And as you see these major companies like Dove that are changing their labels on their bottles that now say no parabens, no chemicals, X, Y, and Z, right? Um, so you've seen this wave of like companies that want to focus on just sustainability and fair trade. And so um, whenever I just embark on a new company, small business, I always start to just like to see like what makes you different. Um, because I've noticed when in creating a business, a lot of the ways that you can tell whether a business succeeds or fails is their why and their purpose. Um, it's very quick to make a quick buck, but you need that why and and that purpose to kind of pretty much guide you in not only your business decisions, but also how you project yourself to your consumers. So that because in 2020, the business model has now been shaken up. Social media has now changed it all. The marketing game's not the same as it used to be for our mom and pops like it was for them. Um, you, your, your product needs to come with a story. Your product needs to emotionally attach to your consumers. So you already got me talking about Latinidad, all this stuff. It's like first page. It's the first, it's your landing page. So 
Um, that's how I got into it. Then lead me to the about page. Um, on the about page, you have this beautiful um, quote from the Harvard Business Review, just giving their, uh, giving a summary over that um, this report about Latinos repressing their identity at the workplace, uh, created by the Center of Talent Innovation, and that was a really that was a that was a turning point for me. Like that report really solidified um, not just what I was feeling, but also in a like in the stats perspective, I was like, okay, so like there is a large number of Latinos that are coming into the workforce and feel like me. They feel that sense of conforming to, you know, cisgender, white, straight male standards. And, you know, um, that's, that's a tough one. And that was, that was something that I had to look into myself and start seeing like, all right, so now we know the issue. How do we go from here? You know, and that's always been my, that's always been something I like to lead myself on and, and throughout my life. Like, okay, we've identified, how do you move forward? Because the first step is identifying the problem. And, you know, now, you know, it's not, it's not just an us issue. It's also all of us. It's like, um, and I say that because I feel like diversity and inclusion can't happen if you don't have your white allies, your white coworkers, your white supervisors, and seeing your staff members also interested in engaging and investing into that same narrative recognizing my like how I've been trained to believe that my queerness is something that you do not show up in the workplace and in that report it even goes into um talking about um the executive presence that one has when they go into a, a senior leadership um requires you to be charismatic requires you to have a personality requires you to connect with folks and how can you really do that if you're not being your most authentic self so when we question that and we start questioning why Latinos are not in executive roles, are not in these seats, um, and understanding what the what the underlining issue is. So that report brings up a lot, um, but I'm, I'm happy that it did. Let, let's un, let's unpack that a bit, as far as and and that agree with like so much that you said. I mean, there there are so many stereotypes, negative stereotypes, and it's in um, like homophobic culture, especially within our community, which is unfortunate. Um, let's unpack that a little bit as far as like times where you feel like you've had to suppress your identity. Right. Um, like what were some instances at work where you felt like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't share that. Um, so I think one, so for anyone that's listening and identifies with me on, you know, coming up on, um, from an, uh, from a background that's very um, culturally, culturally diverse, like Miami, Florida, um, it's a culture shock when you move to another part of the city that isn't predominantly Latino. And so that's exactly how I felt when I moved to DC. And so, you know, I moved to DC as an intern. I did the whole summer internship thing. And I was in a federal agency that I started noticing what everyone was talking about and um, understanding that, that, okay, so I really can't be gay. And on top of that, since it's predominantly white folks here, I, they don't understand my Latinidad. They don't understand how I navigate. And in Miami, we navigate on the premise of Spanglish. You know what I'm saying? Like uh -huh, the Spanish uh, will just come out. The Spanish a, will just come out. It's another language. It's another language, literally. And you know, you you and that's how I navigate. I started noticing how very Miami I am since moving to DC. And those, <laughs> those are the things. And you know, the, the, this is where I finally got my first full time job out of undergrad. So I'm really at the 
starting line of what it feels like to be um, a full-time employee and really start starting my career and getting to see from, from that level, like, wow, I needed to repress myself so I could advance. Now, what I will say is, is I was fortunate enough to have uh, staff members um, and as well as supervisors that were not white and were actually either Latino themselves or, or black women and I really resonated with them. They, they always made the effort in that agency to connect with me and to make sure that I, and that's how you start building that community. And so unfortunately, it's, this, it's, a, it's a tight bubble, you know? It's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that work friends, it's that mentor at work, and unfortunately, it's not the whole organization. So I can be my most authentic self when I'm with these close um, subgroups of mentors, coworkers, peers, colleagues, whatever you want to call it. But unfortunately, when it comes back to me being in my presentation, me going back into a meeting and, you know, and, and it is intimidating. It is intimidating for a lot uh, of folks and me, myself included. So um, that was definitely a, some, the culture shock of DC and just going to a non-majority Latino space was very eye-opening and that alone was very much instrumental to how I started navigating my professional life moving forward. That resonates with me so much. I mean, um, uh, in transparency, I'm, I'm not gay, so I don't know exactly um, what you were feeling like, but that was such a powerful statement when you said, wow, I arrived and I cannot be gay. Um, and I felt like that on some level, just being a Latino. And, but so it's, it's different for everybody, right? Like some people just, they look around and they don't see anyone that looks like them. And then they say, well, if no one else is doing it, then I can't do it, right? Or they are themselves and they're their authentic selves, whatever that looks like. Um, and then they receive like a microaggression or they receive some sort of like negative experience. And then that's what like puts them in the shell. Um, right. I mean, one example for me, like everyone's, you know, we're at dinner, everyone's talking about their weekend and, and you know, me, I went out with my mom to eat some Dominican foods. I'm like, Platano Maduro and like all these things, right? Uh, but instead, I just, I just tell my friends, oh no, I went to brunch, you know, French toast, pancakes, because I didn't want people questioning like, what the hell is Platano Maduro and like all these things, right? Or judging me for like, that's what you eat at brunch kind of thing. So like, which one of those two experiences was it for you? Um, I will say that it was... It was definitely, because here's the thing. Um, when we start talking about your identities that are, which ones are automatically seen from your outward physical appearance and which ones can be identified once they get to know you more. Right, right. Mm -hmm. and, and so being gay is, is something that, if you do not uh, if you do not say it directly then in a workplace setting it will take some time for folks to probably get that so um it was more of me internally saying okay let's not let's let's tone it down um and when it comes to me being like just latino and and so that's something you can't really hide first and foremost my name uh, uh second of <laughs> all um I don't shut up about it and I don't want to shut up about it. So, so it's, uh, yeah. And it's, and, and, and so 
um, and it comes out. So I would say my first experience was definitely more on the Latino side, just because um, it was a lot of um, misconception. Uh, you know, the, the majority of Hispanic Latinos come from Mexico. And so as someone from Miami, you get that, you hear it a lot, actually, like, oh, are you Mexican? And that's like the first one out of all the lists of nationalities that they want want to list. And so you, you, you know, I think folks who are not Latino forget that um, nationality is a big pride. It's a big cultural pride. And so we're not offended for being called Mexican. We're offended for you to think that um, I'm not what I am, um, me, Dominican and Colombian. And, you know, it's like, oh, dang. So, like, what makes you think what a Dominican person looks like? What makes you think what a Colombian person looks like? Right, and, you get that, oh, you right. don't look, insert the culture right. or the country. And, yeah. uh, and whether it be uh, for any count countless of reasons, but um, I will say that that misconception was one of the first things I started realizing um, at work. and. Um, and whenever I would meet other Latinos, it's um, it's interesting because a lot of them weren't Caribeños. And so when you have that, and, and this is why I self-identify as Caribeño now, is, is because I truly believe that you will meet folks in the Latino community who, who really pig um, our Caribeños, so your Cubans, your Puerto Ricans, your Dominicans, your Haitians, as like this other. You don't speak Spanish correctly. You have a weird way of dancing. What? And, we're, the, we're the best dancers. What? Right, right. We're the best dancers, right? And so, but I always, since moving to DC, it's like, why would you dance like that? Because you know, bachata is very sexual. It's very hypersexual when you really it is. think about it. Um, Hence why, so, you know. I like it, hence why. Right, uh, but, but you know, here we have, going back to Latino culture overall being very historically religious, now here we are like, your sexual fluidity isn't really allowed, you know? And especially when you grow up gay and you see bachata moves and you're like, dang, I don't want to do that with a girl. And so it's like, oh, but I can't do that at the Dominican barbecue though. I can't, I can't bring my guy and dance bachata. And so, those are those are those are the things you start seeing within your own community. So now we have our workplace, and now we have our own community. Um, and I really do feel like um, I do have to highlight that experiences because, um, you know, we, us Latinos, we even have that track record of hitting each other. You know, whether it's within our immediate families, or just in our in our schools or in our communities. You know, there's always the us versus them, which is something I really want to take down and dismantle because I don't believe in that. I can't believe in that because how can we progress as a community, as a culture in American history without us having some unifying feeling to each other? And, um, and, I, and I really hold that dearly. Um, and which is why I, I you know, like I, I make the effort to, you know, I meet another Latinos, like, I'm very quick to be like, primo, like, what's up? Like, you know, I want to connect with you because I want you to understand how much of a safe space this really is. When I'm in it, when you're with me, I'm creating a safe space, off rip. So um, I truly, uh, going back into like, just the experiences, um, 
that was definitely, I would definitely say just being Latino is, is already a hurdle enough at the workplace and being gay, being LGBTQ plus just adds fire to the flame. I'm um, so, just, I'm so... I'm so glad that you mentioned that as far as our community and our family, because it's, let's face it, it's like easy to, to pick work in this like predominantly white space where people don't look like us to be like, oh, I hid, I hid my authenticity or like parts of my identity because people don't look like me. If you really think about it, most of the time, like we hide just as many parts of our identity when we're around people that look like us, people that don't look like us, right? Um, you know, I, I'm around certain, I'm around certain groups. For example, like I go, I go to my barbershop and I get a haircut and the Spanish that my Dominican barber has, who was born over there, knows all the slang, all the things. Oh, wow. When I get a haircut, like, I don't feel Dominican. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like, I don't know half the words he's saying to me. Um, so like, you know, you get made fun of for not knowing the language as much as you should. Um, it's, it's like that saying, ni de aquí, ni de allá. Uh, but also there's so many expectations that our culture puts on us around like what a Latino man should be. Right. Um, I mean, religion is even such an interesting topic to this day. <laughs> I tell my grandma that, you know, I'm not religious and I don't believe in God. And I just say it sometimes to like see what her reaction is, but like, I really don't, I'm, I'm not religious at all, but she still thinks she's like, Oh, ha ha Pavel. He's just, He's always so funny. He's joking. Ha ha ha. <laughs> but um, it's just like they can't, they can't see us being any different than like what quote unquote Latino males should be. Right. Like what, what do you think like you had some of those expectations with your family or friends as well? Yes. And this is where we're getting into being mach machismo and really highlighting um, the patriarchy that our Latino community and culture really perpetuates. Um, I was in, I, I was raised, I feel like I, uh, you know, when you're raised um, as the only male in the family, I feel like you have a different aspect. At least I would like to hope that my, uh, my male counterparts who are also a Latino and they're the only Latino in the family, uh, the only male Latino in the family, um, that they also can resonate and understand at least in a deeper level, like, what women in our community feel like. And, you know, um, so I am very much, I've always, I've loved women. I love being a feminist. I'm very much that. And I, lo uh, I love women empowerment. And I say that very, very strongly because um, I'm the middle child of, uh, of three. And so my older sister and my younger sister are, are, are women. And, and I cannot imagine, um, anyone telling them they're less than because of the sex and gender that they identify with. And I think that that's very, that's, it's very backwards thinking. And you know, what's really interesting is that I feel like our generation and, and, and younger Latino generations, I think they're really ready to dismantle machismo culture, ready, uh, ready to really dismantle the patriarchy that we have in our culture. And, um, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. Um, I think toxic masculinity is something that needs to be really addressed. And, and it's not, um, you know, I was watching this YouTube video. Um, it was, uh, it was this TV. It, it's pretty much like, um, like a talk show and it's called the grapevine. And, and it's, um, and the episode was talking about, uh, masculinity and black masculinity. 
And, you know, all these guys were, were on the table and they were really much discussing um, like how one of them was like, I really hate that I feel like my masculinity is being attacked. And, you know, I hear that and a lot of the folks uh, go in and they also share to him, um, you know, it's not your masculinity being attacked. It's your, um, it's- Wait, it's why, why was he saying that though? What do you, what do you mean? Like his masculinity oh, well, being attacked? Oh, well, uh, you know, well, he goes into it like, women are telling me I can't be this or that. I, um, he, he then shares this whole and, um, story background of like, you know, maybe sometimes I can't, um, I can't uh, wear uh, gray sweat, uh, gray sweatpants and all that. And he goes into, and he goes into what a straight male super mask should be in social media culture. And it's just, laugh at him. And it's, it's really funny. I, I, I'm telling you, it's called the grapevine. It's worth watching. Um, Gray sweatpants. um, I mean, that's, that's the wardrobe. Uh, I get it. I get it. So, so, I mean, and, and everyone pretty much like corrects him and reminds him like, hey, it's not that that we're talking about. What we're speaking on is <laughs> like, uh, like the cultural aspect of like men being told to tell women that your place is in the kitchen and your place is to nurture children. Yeah. And, and um, I'm sorry, I can't get behind that. I refuse to get behind that. I, I, how can I as a gay man searching for liberation, searching for my freedom and not expect to want that same for my colleagues, my peers, my, my, my sisters, my brothers, and my primos, like just everyone. So all of the above, right? And so um, being machismo, toxic masculinity is something that needs to be addressed and needs to be handled. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, the next generation of Latino mothers and fathers um, probably don't perpetuate gender roles. I'm seeing that a lot now, and yeah. you know it's, it's going to take a while. But um, I think it w- we will be very surprised to see uh, a generation or two generations from now to see that you know that whole aspect is going to be it's going to be gone, and I'm excited to see that. Yeah, and, and you spoke a lot about like toxic masculinity. That word always messes me up. Um, how it impacts women. And I think it's an important topic to talk about as well. But, um, well, not but, but and. How, how do you think it impacted the way that you see yourself as like being authentic? Because I think toxic masculinity also obviously affects men as well. I mean, one example was uh, me growing up, I never saw men in my life be emotional be vulnerable are these feelings like my grandfather i mean what my i didn't grow up with my father but my grandfather was like the father figure in my life and i mean he he had so many amazing like he was such an amazing male role model in a lot of ways but you know he never showed emotion never hugged me you know what i mean like he never spoke about how he felt um even my mom since i didn't grow up with a father i feel like she felt that she had to play like the strong person in the family role I mean right. I, I remember instances where like a close friend of her died passed away and I didn't see a tear shed you know what I mean like even when her father passed away my grandfather nothing shed um and I just always found that so strange like it, it's not until a few years ago where I started going to therapy and I started being like more comfortable being vulnerable and just open with my feelings did you have the same like did it have the same impact on you like what ways did toxic masculinity impact you um, I think just starting off very young, um, 
just um, pretty much perpetuating the idea that you need to be this. You need to be this hardcore masculine person. And that, that's where we're getting at, that, that the hyper-masculinity is the problem. Because essentially, um, for a lack of better words, um, and this is, a, uh, this is a phrase that I heard Toni Morrison share, which is, how can you be tall if folks have to be on their knees? Pretty much, I'm paraphrasing, but just emphasizing how can how can you really be like yourself, and when you you're basically oppressing others, and so and and I really will say that I think toxic masculinity oppresses those uh, that are victims to it, and um, you know it makes you it, it makes women uh, definitely feel like they can't be seen as an equal as um, as head of house. And, you know, and then here, we, and, and as a gay man, um, I'm being told, don't ever be femme. Don't you ever try to uh, do that, don't you? And, you know, like, uh, and, and I've had instances where as a kid growing up, you know, whether I gravitated towards the Barbie or the army soldier is, for, it shouldn't even be an issue. But, you know, that's, that is at its very core. That is sometimes for a lot of folks, the first experience of that toxic masculinity. How dare you play with the Barbie doll? How dare you think that that is appropriate and that is okay? You are a man. Here is the race car. Here is the the army soldier action figure. Um, and and so that was my first understanding of it. And and you know back then I didn't have a word for it, but like now we can call it out. And um, and just understanding that. It doesn't allow folks to be their most authentic self. Like one thing that um, any of my closest friends would say, because I always talk about this, is um, I identify as someone who just teethers between masculine or feminine. It's very fluid for me. It's 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 honestly it's on the occasion, whatever really calls for, and what I feel the most comfortable to project. And so that's beautiful. That is your masculine and femininity at harmony. And going back to that uh, grapevine video that I mentioned, like there was even this um, gender studies expert that was on the panel and she even talked about like this yin and yang uh, like analogy and really explaining that that's the goal and really explaining that that's where we need to take our energy from. Like it's not about like you being so hard, it's about you allowing yourself to have those feminine aspects and going above what what, what it means to be feminine, like, oh, okay, you're emotional. But also being feminine also means that you're more creative and being a masculine is a little bit more logical. And so just understanding those two things and, um, and how to expand from them um, and how to navigate it. And, not, and, and also, um, I think next step uh, aside from calling it out is also, um, you know, not allowing it to be done in front of you and not being and not saying anything because your silence yes. is pretty much agreeing with what the oppressor is saying and and so for my experience um i love that you talked about the barbershop i think the barbershop is a i can give an example a, from that for sure yeah like and and the thing is is that the barbershop is it's such a like i love it and i hate it you know, I see, I, I love that it is a space that men can feel like they can be themselves. But as a gay man, mm -hmm. it is one of the most hyper masculine places. 
I went to a barbershop one day where um, a barber, a, a barber that was cutting my hair said, oh, yeah, um, I can't cut Fulano's hair anymore because he's gay and not not just because he's gay, but every time I get really close to him, he, he thinks I'm flirting with him. And he calls me baby and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I mean, you got to get close to him to cut his hair. It, it was just such a weak argument. It was just like, really? But in, in, in that moment, I didn't realize how much of an ally I was not being because I didn't say like, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times we're put in those positions and we are fearful of like retaliation. Simple example where like, I'm getting my hair cut and he like fucks up my hairline or he does something. Right. right. But, and I think a lot of us do that where it's just like, Oh, like, what do I say? When do I say it? We don't really know when to say it, but speaking up on that Instagram live sort of like re it sort of brought up that example in my head again. And I was like, wow, I messed up. Like next time I know to say something. Right. But um, I don't know if you had like a similar example, just like, you know, being treated differently in barbershops. Um, the most prominent one would definitely be when I was in Miami. Um, me and my significant other at the time was really looking for like a barbershop that we felt like we weren't even caring about the gay stuff. We were just caring about like, can you just cut my hair right? Um, and uh, for a good price hello uh can we talk about that <laughs> barbershops are expensive my roommate actually just I, I don't i mean i know you're you're in new york oh yeah we don't even want to talk about new york prices yeah and i don't want to talk about dc prices because it was insane like oh, i remember oh, there was a D, like there was one barbershop here that was like 60 plus and i was like 60 i was like yo real talk like i don't go above 25 and that's including a tip like that's my five dollar tip on the 20 dollar cut like that's that's <laughs> i'm used to <laughs> uh that's how i pay um yeah so, i pay like 40 yeah. i pay like 40 bucks right now for like haircut beard beard yeah yeah whatever yeah um <laughs> like <laughs> no, I mean, 60 that better come with a massage with a massage or something. Most of them do. They do the hot, ma- the hot, uh, the hot massage, but um, the hot towel massage. But um, but one of the things going back to that uh, situation was just like once we got there, you know, like everyone's asking, "Who are you to each other?" Wait, what? Um, I'm bringing my boyfriend at the time. Like I brought my boyfriend at the time with me to the barber shop to find a good barber. We found one. We love the price. We love the place. Um, but, you know, everyone's like, like, so who is he to you? Like, you know, you bring him every time. Like, and, you know, th- we're talking about a year. So, like, a year passes, and then you're asking questions. Or, you know, when your barber, like, wants to just start doing small talk with you. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the common co- first question is like, hey, so do you have a girl? And it's like, uh... I don't. And, you know, you have to. And this is where I feel like um, I really, I, I want to encourage, you know, my colleagues, my peers that are not gay to understand at that very moment, I have to make a split decision of, do I want to protect my safety because I am scared mm-hmm. of homophobia because homophobia can really kill me at this point. And it's wow. really sad because this is another Latino that's cutting my hair, right? And so... But remember what I spoke about earlier, historically, Latino people in culture is homophobic because of our nature and connection to religion. And so 
here we are back at this moment and I have to and like and I have to say you know nah I'm in college right now I'm just focusing on my grades and you know like that's what you have to say wow for you to feel comfortable for you to just just to calm it down and you know and it's really sad and 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 that's like one very simple example but one that's very empowering because you can like it can the thing is is that i don't know this person you know this is just a barber i don't know about you but my relationship with my barbers don't really go deep past my session with them so you know i really don't really get to have the luxury to say like oh this barber has been with me and my family for x y and years because my dad and my grandpa here i don't have that and so um, especially because I was raised uh, by a single mother, but um, but also to that, um, I also have to recognize that my sexual orientation can sometimes be seen as a political statement. And the reason why I say that is because another very simple example that I've noticed a lot of my um, peers who are straight don't uh, don't really pay attention to or have never experienced is. Um, the fact that if I decide to hold my hand, hold hands with my significant other, my boyfriend or girlfriend or for, the, for my lesbians, um, you know, they're going, there is a chance that you're going to hear derogatory slang thrown at you. There's going to be a chance that you are going to be told, do not come here. If, um, you know, if a business refuses to serve you and, and, and which is, which is what we've seen in the past um, in this country. And so the reason why I bring that up is because it has happened to me. I've had, I've had folks literally see me just do something as innocent as holding hands. And so you, and, and, um, and, I, and I really wanna just tackle on this because it's such a, again, it's so beautifully innocent. When we talk about holding hands, it's something that's very synopsis to like, you being in grade school and finally and getting your little crush and we're holding hands. But now here we are as adults and now you're seen as other. And now you're seen as, for some reason, as a threat, truly, because folks feel so inclined to, to, to say the F word and, and, to, and to make you feel inferior. And so I can't stress that enough because as a 24 year old man, I still deal with that. Coming into my own and understanding what spaces do I feel safe? And not only that, uh, what spaces are not going to judge me? Um, and I say this because I feel like gay folks have a different experience because again, remember what I mentioned of like your identities from outward, from inner. And so this is something that you, you probably won't know about me unless I literally vocally share it with you or um, you like you, you follow my social media and you see I follow like a bunch of gay accounts and like all this stuff but um, essentially what I'm getting at is just saying like even in my own community I even have to be fearful going back to that barbershop experience like I have to and you know some folks can 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 say what they want to say and, and hear my and hear my experiences and say John you're over exaggerating but I really I really want them to understand that well, why do you feel like it's an over-exaggeration? And understanding the privilege that, because most of the time folks that say that to me are straight. And I want them to recognize that no matter who you are, every single human being has their own set of privileges. You know, we, 
have privileges um, like for myself, I'm able-bodied, I'm not handicapped, I'm not handicapped, I don't know the experience of a handicapped person. And so just recognizing that privilege, you know? And um, so, you know, just to emphasize like everyone has their own privileges and this is one of them. The fact that society is built on a heteronormative structure that you can feel comfortable in. And this, this goes all the way back to puberty. You know what I'm getting at? Like, this is, this is years of, of really strong repression and, yeah. and, and, and really feeling like, wow, everyone in my age group right now is going through, for example, puberty, and I can't disclose anything. You know, I hear Flonito that's talking about, damn, look at that girl, man, like this and the fourth, right? And like, you know, him experiencing his sexual journey. I cannot share that. I have to hide that for my safety because homophobia can literally equal death. And that's a scary part that I think a lot of folks need to understand when it comes to not only me as a Latino gay man, but also for my black trans uh, sisters. Like I'm telling you, black trans women in my community, in the LGBTQ plus community are the most oppressed and the most put down and as seen as less than. And I'm so grateful for TV shows like Pose to yeah. start bringing up awareness about it because it's it's a big issue. It's a, it's the it issue. And um, I was and, mind blown at the at the um, murder rates for Black trans women. Right, and that's I, I hope and I hope I'm using and I hope I'm using the the right terminology and everything. If 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 the listeners haven't seen it, there's a great documentary called. Oh, I'm forgetting the name now. Um, it's on Netflix. I have to look it up. But it, it just goes through the history. Disclosure, Disclosure yes. Yeah. That's such a great documentary. It just goes through the history of um, the trans community, the transgender community in, in Hollywood. And, and, you know, people think that, you know, it started with, like, Orange is the New Black. And that's not the true at all. Yeah. Right. And but, it, but transgender people have been in Hollywood for decades, even since the beginning. You just probably haven't seen it or recognized it. And now it's, you know, more people are, are being shown in Hollywood, but they, they have had a presence for a long time. And it's so interesting. Like the most interesting thing for me in, in that documentary is how media and Hollywood and even, um, you know, people in our family or in our own communities train us on how to react to certain groups. Like they were showing examples in that, in that documentary on, like when a trans person reveals themselves as, as transgender, the reaction is automatically throw, throwing up for people. Yeah, and it, and it, yeah, like that's the reaction. Like that's, right. That's and it's just automatically labeling them as disgusting, right? Because like the, the, like aligning that like throw up to some sort of word, obviously, right? Um, and it's so unfortunate. And going back to your, Going back to your example, I mean, such a powerful story that deserves to be told and deserves to be heard because throughout that example, and again, going back to work, it's so easy to blame white people or people that don't look like you on like why you suppress parts of your identity. But so many times it's our own communities. Um, I even had a friend and I don't know if this resonates with you, but um, well, he, I have a friend that came out to his family as as gay and going back to that bachata example, you're like, yeah, I want to dance with Bay um, at a, like a family barbecue, bachata and all that stuff. His, his mom is so accepting because mothers are going to love you no matter what. His father was the one that was like, get the F out of my house. 
disowning him. You better not come with Bay to any family events. And it just created such a divide in the yeah. family. Um, and it's just, it's just so unfortunate, man. But yeah, I mean, how did, how did you get through like all of those things that you discussed, all of those instances of suppressing your identity, feeling like unsafe to the point where you are now, at least from my side, looking at you, you're so outspoken. You're so much more confident in being yourself. Uh, you gave such a simple example when we were on the phone as well, as far as um, you even updating your LinkedIn profile to say that, hey, I self-identify as queer. Um, how did you get to that point to build up that confidence and just be like, I'm going to be my authentic self, whether you like it or not, take it or leave it, but this is who I am. It, you get to that point when you start uh, identifying where the root is where is this all coming from and i believe it comes from the house it comes from your educational background and and you know um hate isn't um i i always love that quote that like homophobia isn't um something you're born with it's something you're taught and and i can't stress that enough because i start to believe that you know if i can educate folks on my experiences and where I come from, then maybe they can start having a different um, outlook. And, um, you know, it takes me back to, um, you know, just recently, uh, Beyonce released Black is King on Disney Plus. And uh, one of the song lyrics that really resonated with me was, life is your birthright. They hid that in the fine print. Take the pen and rewrite it. And that's where, that's like, this is like hearing all of that and hearing and 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 hearing um the beautiful art of that song and just re resonating that um like wow i can take I, I i can also identify and learn from this and also understand that like going back to um my uh when i was explaining the phrase that we all know life liberty and the pursuit of happiness in our declaration of independence um what does that mean to us? What does that mean as our core value? And I had to go back and start and, and start looking back and saying, the America that I'm experiencing right now is the America that I don't want to live in. And going back to that really cheesy quote, like, you know, be the change that you want to see and that you want to see. And so um, that's really where it stems from, just wanting to really enforce like me it's 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 how how who else can tell your story other than you and so i think that was really powerful um i love another that. another, another cool. powerful quote from michelle is uh from michelle obama that was also powerful for me was if you don't get out there and define yourself you'll be quickly and inaccurately defined by others and you gotta you really need to pause at that you really need to pause at that and really breathe in Breathe in what that means. If you do not go out and define yourself, so what that includes is live experiences. You need to uh, have the gift of a journey. Your journey in life is a gift. And understanding that that's a part of your narrative. This is going back to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And understanding, to Beyonce's point, it is your birthright. So um, 
let's let's get into that and and i think that that's that's something very powerful and this is how we can start regenerating um the american narrative that we want to see and so that's where that's where, where it really stems from it stems from me just collecting all of these things and just aligning them to see okay at your very core this is how you identify as a person at the very core of the country that you live in this is how they identify and this is the and, th and this was the beginning um starter point you know our de declaration of independence and this is where we are so how do we how do we uh, stray away from that and like how to go back to pointing it out and understanding where we go from here um so you know that that involves you as a person doing your research and understanding your history and understanding this country's history and also understanding that um america is you you are america and i think that's really beautiful for latinos to hear because for so long we've never felt like we were a part of that i don't know about you but when i was growing up i i always said this to my sisters i never see any latinx any latino latina in our history books that was always something that bothered me and i also was bothered that first thing you learn about black folks in history class is that they're slaves we're not going into like so like now like you're you're not giving me the right sense you're not giving me you're giving me the whitewashed version of history and i'm gonna need you to stop but then <laughs> it goes into who writes these history books and who and who's going and like and who's defining what was said and what was done i think it so goes back I, to that michelle obama quote though right like if you don't yeah. write your own history or if you don't tell your own story or the story of your people someone else is yeah it's such a and powerful yeah it's so it's so powerful and it's for everyone, you know. Yeah. Like, like uh, you, you, you can take that in, uh, for everyone, and that's what I love about it. It's so transferable. And so, so just going back and just saying, like, okay, all these things that I felt that can be transferable to my experience, let me hold them really dear to my heart, and let me take it into how I navigate. And so, um, you know, I, I, I work for a nonprofit that emphasizes on the advancement and educating and developing of the next generation of Latino leaders. And here, and, you know, here we are diversifying Congress and bringing them in. And, you know, we're, we're really trying to make that impact. And I think um, it really starts with how you want that impact to be made. So, you know, I just happen to be blessed enough to work in a space that um, advances the lives of my own people. Um, and, and so I think that's where it starts. And I will say that it, it starts defining your version of the American dream, which I don't think a lot of Latinos um, get the privilege to understand because one thing that I can't stress enough is the American dream that we've been force fed uh, to believe that our life will be happy once we receive the college degree, the really fancy corporate America job, the white picket fence, the wife and the kids, living in suburbia like i really want folks to understand that if that is not your path that that is okay yeah or or, that, or the husband and the kids you know or the husband and the kids you know like <laughs> but understanding that um yeah and, and there's so much pressure from like families to live that specific american dream and i don't blame them right because they want the best for us and sometimes right. that's what they believe is just the best for us so yeah, I, I, again, I think it goes back to like some of the fam like family dynamics and just like their vision for their own children. Like they don't even give their children sometimes the space to like figure themselves out as well. And that's, and that's what I'm getting yeah. at, that um, 
you know, being raised um, traditionally that way doesn't allow you to have that space to think. And so what I've decided that moving forward, how I interact with my, not only my folks, my people, but just anyone around me is to allow them to feel that safe space to be able to say, oh, I'm going to, going back to Beyonce's point, I am going to take this pen and I'm going to rewrite it. I am rewriting my American dream. I'm rewriting how I'm defining myself. I'm going to rewrite how you're going to see what a Latino is in America today. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. And I think we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, we're seeing the offspring of that, you know, with, uh, with the Afro-Latino label, with, um, with us seeing um, more media coverage of trans lives. Here we are with Pose. And, you know, I, it's, it's exciting. What sucks is that we're in the beginning stages. So there's not a lot, but at least yeah. there's some. But so and much that, more, so much more room to go. So much more to get into, but and I, can't, I can't stress that enough for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and I know we're running out of time too. So I just, um, you know, we we went through so many of like the challenges and things that you've been facing. We even went through, <clears throat> we even went through like the how you've gotten to like to be this confident person that you are now, so outspoken and such an advocate in so many ways. Uh, if you can pick one thing that empowers you to be your authentic self or continues to empower you um like what would that be it may just be beyonce you know she she does a lot <laughs> but it, <laughs> what is it for you when i really think about what empowers me i think um it goes back to my roots um so within my own family we have a family saying a family model that goes uh rompiendo las barreras in direct translation uh, breaking down the barriers and you know it's highlighting the barrera that's my last name um in english translation it's barrier and emphasizing that as a barrera you are going to be built for this You're, you are being built to experience certain obstacles certain levels of of oppression but you need to recognize that you have it within yourself and you now and that you have the strength within yourself to tackle it head on and and i really take that into in, into a lot of how i navigate a lot of spaces because it's a reminder first that there's honor in my name and that there's strength in it as well and and understanding the beauty that our community and our culture brings i think being latino and when you embrace being latino you will start to see some beautiful phrases some very inspirational sayings and this is coming from my own father sharing his um like his family model to me so that's something that you know that i have within myself that, that like that doesn't even go into you know um my my uh one of another person that i really love is celia cruz and celia cruz just talks about like your life is a carnival like live it up and um and so just <laughs> recognizing again that Latinos come with a very strong work ethic, period. And how to take that on to how you now identify and just monetizing the narrative of what a Latino is. And so um, so going back to my family motto, that's something that I really take hold in. And it's, it's what allows me to just say, hi, I'm present, I'm here. Um, and this is my why, and this is why I show up. And so that the voiceless can be heard, whether it's a vessel through me sharing them, but um, sharing their stories, but um, 
at the very least, you can't say we weren't here. 